welcome to the Student Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Rutherford from Learn, Grow, Become, where we work with universities and higher education providers to empower mature age and part-time students to gain the mindset, the strategies, and the confidence to succeed in their studies. Hello, and welcome to today's Student Experience Podcast. Joining us is the lovely Trish McCluskey, who is currently the Interim Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Learning and Teaching and previously the Director of Connected Learning at Victoria University. Trish works with a talented team of learning designers to create innovative curriculum resources and build academic staff capability in contemporary learning and teaching practices. She's currently leading a radical reconceptualization of the traditional university curriculum program, and it's known as the Victoria University Block Model. Trish has been involved in leading major curriculum changes at two other Victorian universities, RMIT and Deakin, and has gained considerable insight and experience in the process of change management and leadership. Overall, Trisha's career spans a full spectrum of tertiary education in Australia and New Zealand with roles as educator, coach, mentor, manager, leader, chair of academic board and university council member. This broad spectrum of experience enables Trish to apply and incorporate leadership management, governance, curriculum development, digital literacy, technology and resilience within her work. And as she was just telling me before we start the podcast, she has a really deep understanding of a wide variety of people and their way of working. Thanks for joining us, Trish. It's lovely to be here, Tanya. I'm good to meet face to face. Yes, e-meeting is the thing to do these days. <laughs> Firstly, I'd love to hear more about the block model of teaching that you've embedded into the first year programs at VicUni. How does it work and are you finding it a more effective way of engaging with students and creating a positive student experience? Yeah, well, we um, introduced the block model to Victoria University back in 2018. So we've been running it now for three years and we actually have our first cohort of graduates um, graduating in November. And it's such a pity that we're in this, especially in Victoria, in this environment where we, you know, we're having to do our, our graduations um, virtually because it's the opportunity for such a celebration and to see those students come through having studied in the block model for three years is, yeah, uh, a bit of a shame, really. But yeah, we, we introduced it back in 2018. And the reason we did that was because our students, our student cohort uh, or demographic tend to be first in family learners you know so they don't have a lot of educational cultural capital in education sector so they may not have had parents have been to university uh, they may have come from overseas uh, pursuing work or as refugees or whatever um, so, so coming to university has often been a challenge they're not the traditional learners that we're used to who you know come through school who know how to learn and um, uh, can succeed easily so we had a very high um, dropout rate in first year. We found that students were, you know, coming, spending a couple of months and maybe dropping out or not succeeding, failing their, their, their units of study. 
So we looked for a different way to engage students because I don't know what your experience was at university, but I know that whenever I was there that trying to find your way around campus, going from one big lecture theater to another to tutorial groups, and it took a while to actually get to know someone well and to make friends and to find out if the questions that you had, you know, it was okay to ask them and not appear stupid, all of those sorts of things. So we, we um, thought that we needed to create something where students felt more engaged and more included and more valued as individuals on a learning journey. Uh, we created a, a first year college and in the first year college students would come in, doesn't matter what discipline they were in, they would actually come in and study together. And the model of curriculum that we introduced was known as the block, which we discovered in the States uh, and Canada. And how the block differentiate is different from um, traditional model is it's a four week unit. So rather than students enrolling in four units at a time, four different subjects, trying to navigate four different sets of teachers, academics, four different assessment de deadlines, four different um, focuses and ways of teaching, we thought, why, why do we continue to do that over 12 weeks, four units concurrently? So what we decided to do was introduce one unit at a time, the same number of hours, which is like 33 hours for a unit, and teach it one unit at a time over four weeks intensively in small classes. So there was no more than 30 students in any class and with one academic guiding that group of learners from the beginning of their study to the end of their study in the unit. Then they would get the results um, at the end of the four weeks before they start their next block. So they could see that they've actually succeeded in one unit and can then move on to the next one with more confidence. So underpinning that was also a whole uh, infrastructure around learning how to learn and giving students the tools to support them to actually learn uh, the skills of being in academia and, and learning how to use the library and learning how to ask critical questions and learning how to write uh, in an academic way. You know, so, so there was a, um, uh, an underpinning program of support for the students as well as um, doing their units. So it's been really, really successful. We introduced it in first year thinking if we can get students into the university and make them or enable them to be successful, then they'll stay, they won't drop out. And then they can just carry on the same way as they've done in other universities. However, we found that the student success was so significant, the grades shot up, you know, and we really moderated our assessment very, very carefully. Um, but the, the student success rates, their, their grades shot up, they didn't drop out. And by the time they got to their first end of their first year, they were saying, can we please continue with this? Because they liked, they liked the rhythm of the block. They liked the fact that they got to make friends. They made friends who they moved from block to block with. So we decided that we were going to roll it out across the other years. And we've just finished that. So all of our courses now are blocked in, in four-week units. So wow. I could ramble on forever. <laughs> so, you know, so feel free to, to cut in and just, you know, that, that's sort of just a, a synopsis of what it is and yeah. how it works. So is that across all your disciplines? 
every discipline in undergraduate. And we've got things from nursing, paramedicine, social work, engineering, IT, business, law, sport and exercise science. We have a huge range of courses at VU, quite a large university. And, And it's interesting because some people would say, oh, that might work for your course, but it wouldn't work for mine. You know, but but it actually has worked for all of them. And but we didn't just take the 12 week unit and cram it into four weeks. What we did is we totally unpacked it and had a look at what is this unit about? What are the big ideas? How do we look at the learning outcomes? What does the student have to know, do and be or what are their dispositions? in learning this unit and then focus on creating much more interactive and engaged activities. Um, And also leveraging the affordances of uh, digital technology, you know, so introducing little self-paced quizzes where people could practice and practice and practice until they mastered something rather than, you know, listening to someone tell you about something and then have to regurgitate it onto an exam. We also tried to actually shift away from the, the, the use of large summative assessment tasks such as exams and 3,000 word essays and focus more on small chunked assessments um, which were focused on assessments for learning rather than just assessment of learning. So students were actually learning from the assessment tasks they were doing and then bringing that learning into the next one. And so did you find for students who... Um, would traditionally have learning challenges, whether it's um, they're experiencing um, ADHD or dyslexia, that that model actually worked a lot better because it was dependent on different assessment and different teaching style? Absolutely. And I think that what we tried to do was normalise help-seeking behaviour. Because very often, you know, we see the students when they're not getting something that somehow they're in deficit and they have to go somewhere to be fixed or remediated. So that's why we had what we called complementary activities underpinning the block in the first year and saying, here, if you need some extra help with writing or extra help with phrasing or extra help with developing a presentation or speaking in public, we've got all of these other things where everybody, we encouraged all students to go and ask for help and support each other. Yeah, and, and the smaller groups would also make it much safer for students to, yeah. to be able to talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No questions were stupid. And that's, I think, the importance of, you know, the small group where it was, you felt connected and mm. you felt supported and, um, yeah, it built confidence, I suppose. And did you find with um, the need to shift to online with COVID that it was that easier because it was, smaller units that you were dealing with at a time rather than everything oh uh, look when covid came along we thought bad oh, for everyone else <laughs> just when just when we got a really good solution and we thought we were doing so well then we've got this thing that disrupts everything so so we had the you know the focus on small classes and it was actually being together and supporting each other was one of the the secret sauce of what the block model was but in addition to that, we had designed it in such way, a way that we already had the digital learning platform, you know, which is like the learning management system. And we had already designed in there before class, during class and after class activities. It was really predictable. It was really uh, familiar and well laid out so students could navigate using this platform 
and they could practice. They could go in and they could do their pre-reading or they could practice little quizzes until they got things right or they could watch short videos. So we already had the infrastructure there. We didn't know that it was going to work as well. And then all we really needed to do was transfer to the virtual classroom, which we used Zoom for. So rather than saying to students, okay, rather, you know, you're not going to do three hours on Zoom, but we may, you know, open the class, see how everyone is, how everyone's coping, then say, okay, everyone go off to the digital learning platform and either work in pairs or do some tasks and then come back. So we find that it was so smooth, the transition, but also the students loved it because it was one unit at a time. Yeah. You know, and a lot of students who are trying to navigate four academics at a time, learning how to use Zoom and not being digitally fluent, can be really, really stressful. Whereas if you think I've only got one group, I see them every day. We're so it, all in it, it was together. Much, we're all in yeah. it together. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Awesome. That was good. Now I heard you recently presenting at the Students as Partners Conference uh, about incorporate, incorporating students in the development of that block curriculum. Can you share with us how that came about and how that actually worked in practice? Okay, we have a what we call students as staff program and we've had that in place since about 2007. So what we do is, you know, when you have students who need to leave campus to go to work or to, you know, earn money to support themselves, it's easier for them to take another shift at work than it is to actually come to campus sometimes. So if we offered students employment on campus, then we could work around them. So we've always used students in our sort of, you know, IT help desk, learning design area with using things in the, in the learning management system. Um, and we gradually have grown our team of students as staff. And what we do is we, we um, you know, you say to a student, okay, uh, you've, what's your schedule this semester or this block? Uh, and therefore they need afternoons. Well, okay, well, we give you morning shifts. So it worked for both um, um, parties in terms of we have students who are users, uh, end users of our courses and units um, who could give us really good feedback on what the experience was for them learning. Um, and they could also advise us on what works and what doesn't work for students. So when we started the block model, we, we designed every unit using um, a, a team-based approach, team-based collaborative approach. And in each team, we had uh, a key academic who was the subject matter expert, a learning designer, uh, a librarian, who are really important people, and a student of staff. So that group worked together on each of the units and designed and developed that. So it's, it's been really, really useful because the final stage of that design and development process is a peer review. So when you have someone who's presenting their shiny new unit and explaining how it works and what the student experience is going to be like, having some students in the room who can say, oh, probably that'd be a bit boring for me, or, you know, have you thought about doing it this way, or I would really like to see a shorter video, or, you know, if I see 50 PowerPoint slides, I generally don't read them all, you know, okay, it's something like that. So really, because students know, <clears throat> students know what works for them and what doesn't. Yeah. So, so that program has been really, really successful. So in Connected Learning now, I've got a team of, I think it's about 25 students who are employed in the university uh, and they're all studying at um, you know undergrad postgrad level 
uh, a lot of international students. So students at different levels of their, their study are also pairing up to work with students who are more experienced as well. So That sounds great. So it's almost like it becomes that, that whole life cycle approach where they, you know, they understand the student, they understand the different cultures, they understand what the um, experience is for the academics as well. Because I think yeah. one of, you know, that's a big misunderstanding as well that doesn't help with, with um, how people perceive units and, and that sort of thing. And we have a, a drop-in centre that we call the Hive. It's our central learning and teaching area. And the lovely thing is we always have staff in there, like either both learning designers and students as staff. And the number of academics who walk into the Hive bypass the learning designers and go try to find the student staff because they know <laughs> the student staff will actually help them with stuff. So it's been a <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it, they want the recent experience and they want the young students who know how to do the tech stuff and say, you know, is this boring? Would this help? Can you show me how to? So awesome. And and how did you find that changed with COVID? So trying to do that collaborative stuff when you don't have that face to face anymore. Well, we still have a virtual hive. We've set mm. up the virtual hive and there's still the virtual drop-ins. And we've also got the live chat feature. So every time uh, an academic is working in their learning space, you know, in the learning management system on their unit, there's the little icon that says chat now, just like you do with your bank okay. or with any other company. So there's always someone who's able to chat with you and take your call. And it's been really good for the students and staff because if they can't answer it, They've got the confidence to say, oh, I know somebody who can, you know, that we, we say not everybody has the answer to every question. So they build confidence in being able to say, I don't know, but I'll find someone who can help you. So that, that in, in the initial stages of moving to what we call digitally supported remote learning um, rather than online learning, uh, that the, the, the hits that we had the stats that we have in terms of calls was just humongous. It was amazing to look at the number of calls that students and staff responded to and the great feedback that we got from academics about how valuable they find it. Yeah, that's great. Mm. And just and just having their expertise and their knowledge as a student being valued, I think yeah. makes a huge difference yeah. too. And we pay them. We pay them really mm. well. You know, like we, we have some students who work in McDonald's and they think, why would you work in McDonald's when you can work here and get paid a lot more? So, not you know, smell of pickle sauce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and get, and be, flex, be flexible with your timetable when you know you can yeah. study and work at the same time. It's been, yeah, it's been really good for them. And in fact, what we've done is we've, we've employed, I now have four or five of our ex-students of staff who graduated and love this work so much and have developed the skills so we've now employed them as learning designers so that's been really really useful and a number of them have been poached by other universities I was say, i've heard that they've been poached a bit train <laughs> uh, them so well and then they get poached but a lot of them still like that you know they're very they, 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 they feel very connected to the university because of how we've supported them so yeah yeah and so i guess that's there's the experience of the students who are the students as staff but how does that also enhance the overall student experience for all the other students who aren't working um, with you uh, it's hard to say I, I mean I think that students 
pave their own way. And we can't assume that all students are young school leavers. You know, we have a lot of mature students, a lot of students who are retraining. Um, and, and especially now with COVID, a lot of people have lost their job. They're going to look for new skill sets and new. Um, so different students have got different needs. You know, some students are self-starters and can carry on themselves and support themselves and just reach out when they need to. Whereas others, you know, I, I think one of the strengths that we've had with our students as staff and students as partners, we've got a, a much bigger student as partners framework within the university. So I'm only talking just about yeah, my project, one. which is yeah. yeah, the smaller one, which is students as staff. But especially with our international students, you know, having connections, because very often they can feel isolated. So having a group of people where they can actually reach out and connect with has been a, a really important um, part of that experience. Um, so, so when when we advertise positions for students and stuff, because as soon as they graduate, we let them go. We say, OK, we're only employing you as long as you're studying with us. You know, and if a job opening comes up, that's fine. We might employ you. But otherwise, so we have to continuously recruit. And yeah. we find that there's a huge number of international students apply to work with us. You know, and some of have got very high qualifications from other countries you know, and other skill sets, like might be in web design or in IT or something, but their qualifications are not recognized in this country. So they're having to study alongside, but it's amazing the skills and talents they bring to the job. Yeah. And and I guess overall for um, the students that are experiencing the unit, like the units in the block model and the other programs that you have available, they have a better experience because the experience is informed by students who are, are working with you guys or volunteering with you guys. Yeah, yeah. If, if you know that, you know, it, it, most students, you know, and I'm probably generalizing here, most students these days have got a device in their hand. Yeah. You know, they've got, we're living in a, um, uh, a Netflix generation where people, you know, binge on things and watch things and everything's at the touch of a button or you can Google it. And we're in short, sharp bites of information and, and uh, knowledge. So, so designing our courses in that way appeals to students because that's what we do, you know. And if you're really interested in something, you know, very often you can go online and watch a whole lot of YouTube videos on a particular topic like how to cut your hair during COVID or things like that. <laughs> but it's amazing the things that people learn. So if we can try and design our learning like that, that students get to a point in their course or their unit where they don't know something, but it's easy for them to find it and it's easy for them to access that just in time, just in time, just for me. So if we design our courses like that, we can guide our students through the, the, the key learning outcomes that we're hoping that they're going to achieve. Um, in their course and they can really I think the other thing I like about the block model is that they can really immerse themselves in it so that it's not like you're multitasking skipping from one topic to another um, in disparate subjects trying to remember everything you're just really experiencing that topic or that subject um, at a very different level yeah and I know when I was at uni you know you'd, you'd come in the following week and think what did we do in the lecture last week and and you'd have forgotten it and then the, the lecturer might spend half the class catching up reviewing what we did last week whereas what happens now is because the students are so immersed in it you know you've just done it the day before so we have like you do either three mornings a week or three afternoons a week or three evenings a week and there's always one day somewhere in between those so you might be in on a monday morning a wednesday morning and a thursday morning mm -hmm. but 
it'll have just been the day before when you were busy talking about this and you may have been online engaging with some of your your peers overnight or you might have to work on a collaborative assessment so it's continuously in your head that one subject that one rather than thinking oh what am i doing now and and do i have an, a, a a test or an assignment due and I'm going to skip off this class so I can study for it. You know, yeah, and I've got we just three due on the same day for different subjects. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just drop out of one for a while and then you miss and you have difficulty catching up. So I think it's, it's hearing a student voice and the feedback that we get about that experience. That's not to say that it's easy. It means mm. that, you, you know, you can't hide. You can't. Um, yeah. take your foot off the pedal there's an assignment due almost every week even if it's a small one so if you focus on what you're doing you will succeed so I think that's the message that I've heard students you know subsequently give each uh, the students who are following behind them if you just focus on what you're doing you will succeed you'll be fine but if you think that you can just leave it all to the last minute it doesn't work in the block I don't have worse than anything to be honest but <laughs> But if students, if students struggle or fail or mm. have to drop out of it because of illness or, you know, because they have to work or something, the beauty is that we will offer the unit again several times over the course of the year. So you don't have to wait to the next year to re-enroll yeah. in a unit that you failed or had to drop out of, which is very often one of the problems with this semester, the traditional semester-based mode, you know, that units are only offered once or twice a year in a semester. We so can where, some some blocks we offer ten times a year. Yeah, and so where you do have a really big cohort, do you have like several um, lecturers delivering smaller block versions of it? Is that how it works? In first year nursing, I mm. think we had something like two hundred or three hundred students, and you have to start at the first unit because it's a prerequisite for the next one. So therefore, we need a lot of sessional staff, which is why the design and the template and the blueprint of each unit was so carefully designed, and all of the academics involved. So you come in and you have, and it's you know a lot of academics don't like that idea of having a lesson plan and having a script. But we need to ensure consistency. You just yeah. can't have academics teaching what their pet subject is or taking their pet approach to it. So every unit, that's why I say it's moderated. You know, we yeah. look at what is what is the script for that class? What are the assessment tasks? What are the things students are expected to have done? So we may have 20 academics teaching one unit. And then that's when, you know, you get to the end of it and they've all done their assessments. You have to moderate the assessments. You have to make sure that there's consistency in marking, all of those things. It's a, it's a very um, rigorous process and time intensive process. But a yeah. lot of our, our academics are very passionate educators, which we're really fortunate to have. Yeah, and I, I could ask you questions about this all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But in actual, I better not because, you know, otherwise you'll be here all night with me and you might have other things to do. That's <laughs> um, all right. So that's that's all the questions I have for the moment. Is there any, like, of other work that you're doing or research that you'd like to share? Look, one of the things that we're thinking a lot about now, especially um, during COVID and looking uh, as we emerge out of this, is how we can support all of those people who have lost jobs to reskill or to build skills. Mm. So I think that like most universities, we're looking at things like micro-credentials, you know, and the block has an opportunity for us to take individual blocks or even what we've called bits of blocks, 
you know, to build up skill sets around certain um, themes or disciplines. So we're looking at how we can capitalize on that and perhaps offer more short courses or uh, non-accredited learning or things that, you know, we've already designed, but um, we want to offer them as an option just for, for learning sake rather than for a credential. Yeah, so, so repackaging and, and things like that. Yeah, and also in the process of that, recognizing prior learning. A lot of people will come now to change career, but they may have excellent management skills, project management skills, time management. They may have a lot of skills they picked up in a different sector or a different industry or a different discipline, and that needs to be recognized rather than having to start again. So, so we hope that people will maybe, you know, just pick up a, an individual block as a, um, an opportunity to learn a topic um, and then, oh, I like this, I'll do another one and maybe I'll do another one. And what do you know, you've got a degree and we've also recognized some of the skills that you brought to it, you know, so it, it enables people to change careers and, and focus. And I guess also experiment without dedicating a whole three months to it. They can sort of try something for essentially a month and say, yeah. is this actually for me? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a much, you know, it used to be that you do your degree, you get to the end, that was a terminal, you were qualified and you'd never go back to study. I think that those days have long gone mm. and people need to continuously learn and develop new skills. So, so learning is now lifelong and it's also life-wide, you know, so we actually have to think about what is the range of skills um, students, individuals, people <laughs> need over the course of their life and, and what are the breadth and depth of those skills. Yeah, it sounds very exciting. And thank you so much for your time today, Trish. I have really enjoyed chatting with you. It's a lovely way to end a busy week, Tanya. <laughs> Good. And that's all we have for our episode today. I hope you will join us again next week for the next episode of the Student Experience Podcast. the end of this episode of the student experience podcast i hope you can join us next week for another great interview